y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode number 451, I'm bringing back to the show, David Thomas. And I think there's something about asking those kinds of questions. How did you handle that? What did you do? What was that like? That really does speak a message to the boys we love, to the kids we love, that I believe in you. I believe you're capable. I believe God has equipped you with what you need to navigate your own version of discomfort as a first grader, sixth grader, ninth grader, freshman in college. And so I love the idea of meeting kids first with empathy and then moving towards some kind of question that is empowering in that way. If you don't already know, David is a licensed professional counselor out of Nashville. He's the host, co-host of the podcast, Raising Boys and Girls. And he has come on the show many times because his specialty is treating boys and uh, helping parents of boys through their developmental stages. And he has come on so many times that we've linked to all of them in the show notes. But in today's episode, he's specifically answering questions that I was getting repeatedly related to socially anxious boys. Boys who are hesitant, uh, struggle to take healthy risk, who even struggle with life milestones like getting their driver's license, asking a girl to a dance, applying to college. And with OCD and ADHD on the rise, we wanted to understand what's our role? How do we know when it's time to step in and get them the help that they need? And what does that support look like? So David's going to share with us his top three reasons why these issues are on the rise. He's going to help us learn how to support and challenge and help our boys and he reminds us of what is true. Let's get right to it. Here we go. <laughs> David Thomas back in the house, the OG. So happy to be here always. You know you made it to the Five Timers Club? Did I ever tell you? Stop it. Yeah. I didn't Do send I a get jacket, a t-shirt? But... That's what I was wondering. Is there a jacket, a t-shirt, a robe of some kind? I was curious. <laughs> a taco, a golden taco. You couldn't eat it, though. That would be sad. Um, but thank you for coming back and trusting us here at the Don't Mom Alone I'm podcast. delighted to be back. It goes without saying, I'm never going to miss a chance to to say I'm such a fan of your work, friend. And I'm uh, grateful anytime our paths intersect. So thank you for having me back. Well, it's an honor and a grace in my life that God not only let me learn from you, but that we could be friends. And so today... We're diving into the good stuff, buddy. We've covered so many things. We are going to link to all the episodes in the show notes. If you have a four-year-old boy, if you have wild children that you would like help with, we have those episodes. We talked about emotions and helping our boys with emotions. Today, we're tackling what I've gotten repeat questions over, which is boys who are hesitant, who are quiet, who are socially anxious who uh, moms don't know, do I push them or not? And this is not just like a one age group. This is five-year-olds, teenagers of boys. And so we need your help. We need your thoughts. Are you seeing this trend? Absolutely seeing it on the rise. In fact, I would say, Heather, in almost 30 years of doing this work, I have never seen as many boys who are struggling with what I would define as healthy risk. So like wanting to take healthy. Absolutely. So like trying out for a team if we're little or, you know, a new extracurricular activity that's unfamiliar or jump forward boys who are not wanting to ask a girl to a dance for the first time or take the driver's license test or apply to college, like all the different ways it's showing up in different spaces of development. And how incredibly important I think that is to whole development. But I think unique to boys, you know, they long for risk and adventure and purpose. I think it's just hardwired into who we are as males. And so it doesn't feed this foundational part of who we are that I think is so important that we have this conversation. So thank you. So you're seeing it on the rise. Has there been any research or thought behind why? Do we need to know why? Does that help us know with the pushing or not pushing? I do. I think we absolutely need to know why. And I think there are multiple ingredients. If I were to pick the top three, let's focus on the top three because there are others, but the, the three leading, I think hands down the pandemic played a significant role. So 
you know, let's think about asking a girl to a dance. Like kids went for at least a year, some for multiple years where schools just weren't hosting. Understandably so. It wasn't safe to do that. We didn't, you know, have the opportunity for so many of the normal experiences. I think about how many kids went for over a year without spending the night with grandparents and going to play dates and, you know, all the things that create opportunity for kids to flex these muscles and practice healthy risk in these different contexts. And so I think definitely it set us back. And we've talked so much culturally about the concerns we carry about how behind kids may have gotten academically, but we've not talked enough about how I think it created some hurdles for kids emotionally and socially. So I would say pandemic is one ingredient. I think secondly, it's technology. And so I can't tell you the number of boys who will say things to me like, you know what? I just, I don't, I don't really care that much about going to the game on Friday night. I just rather stay at home and play games with my friends. Like we can talk through a headset. And so we could have a whole conversation about boys and technology. And I want to be very clear in saying I'm not against boys having opportunities to engage technology with good, healthy limits for entertainment purposes. But I do think that has stood in the way of a lot of opportunity for healthy risk because there's just not a lot of risk involved in me defeating an alien or, you know, however I'm competing in those ways where I'm not having to read nonverbal cues and I'm not having to take a lot of risk, the the things that are involved in real life experiences. And then I would say thirdly, I think the rise in anxiety and depression and I know we're going to talk about OCD too. And so the rise in those three things, you know, if I were to give a Cliff Notes version to how that fits within the conversation we're having, I'll take one step back and just say the current stats are one in four kids struggle, one in three adolescents, one in three adults. And that's an important stat to hold on to. We're going to come back to that. But what is also important to note for parents listening is that if I, as a parent, am a person who struggle with anxiety, my kids are seven times more likely to struggle in that space. And there are some things that anxious parents can do unknowingly. And so I want to be very clear in saying that, like, I'm not setting out to do these things, but things that I will do unknowingly that unless I build some strong awareness, which is why I think this conversation is so important, I will inevitably stand in the way of healthy risk. So the best example to the conversation we're sharing is that the most common practices for anxious parents are escape and avoidance. Mm -hmm. So I see you feeling really nervous when we're driving to basketball practice and really teary sometimes in the middle of it. So we're just going to stop basketball altogether. It's too overwhelming. And, And that's an escape or avoidance practice as opposed to The target we want to be moving toward with the boys we love is what I call support and challenge. And I even have a mom right now where she's written those words on a note card. She has them above her desk, like escape and avoidance, support and challenge. And she's asking herself questions herself, having friends ask her like, hey, in that decision, what do you think you're moving toward? And I love that practice that is building a lot of awareness in her because she's just aware that. I get really stirred when I see my son struggling and I think back to my own journey of struggling and that my parents weren't very dialed in. And I will say, I think this generation of parents is so dialed in, like aware they have their thumb on the pulse of their kids in some extraordinary ways that wasn't the case. And sometimes awareness can go too far. So I mean, I talk a lot about there's vigilance and then there's hypervigilance <laughs> and so we want to be very clear and yes absolutely and enmeshment yes. and all these words of like oh you're not happy then i can't be happy or i am i am responsible for your emotional state yeah there it is support can mm-hmm. easily turn into codependence and so we've got to pay close attention to the targets we're moving toward and deal with like i can imagine if you have a history of failure or some traumatic event in your middle school and elementary years or rejection socially, and then your child is, there's a hint of that possibility amongst a social group, it's going to trigger because maybe like you said, we didn't have the parenting or the coaching to work through it in a healthy way. And so we're re-triggered. We're trying to avoid that happening to our child and them experiencing that pain, which Again, as parents, we never want our kids to experience pain, but give us a little pep talk on how pain is connected to resilience and reduced anxiety. Oh, it's very connected. And I heard 
this statement not long ago, Heather, and I can't tell you how much I love it. Dr. Susan David, who wrote a great book um, called Emotional Agility, said that discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. Let me say it again. Wow. Discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. I couldn't agree more with those words. And I think, A, it's the acknowledgement that it's going to be there. It's part of being human. It's the reality of living this side of heaven. And B, if that's true, then how do we equip our kids? How do we build in what I talk about a lot? It's just emotional strength for when they come up against discomfort, struggle, stress of some kind. That is, to your great point, fertile ground for building grit and resilience and emotional strength. So not only do I not want to let it happen because it's part of life, I want to let it happen so that it prepares them for all of life. And so mm. it's so important we go back to that. And can I say this, you know, when you were talking, when you and I were talking about the unknowingly for anxious parents, two practical ways that I would encourage parents to watch for it is that Sissy and I talk a lot about how the research around anxiety tells us that anxious parents tend to use more catastrophic language. So our kids come in and report on their day, something hard happened. And rather than saying, that sounds hard. What did you do with that? We say things like, that sounds terrible. That's the worst. Like, do, you hear, do you hear how catastrophic that language is? So there'd be a great takeaway right there. Watch for your language. The second, when you talked about pain, it reminded me that we talk a lot about not investigating for pain. So Anxious parents are a little more vulnerable to asking questions like, who sat with you at lunch today? Who'd you play with at recess? How much playing time did the coach give you? I mean, do you hear where in those questions, I'm looking for what went wrong in your day, not what went right. And let me tell you, anxiety is already doing a great job in that department. We don't need to help out. But when we ask those kinds of questions, and even in that way, that intensity sometimes is within those questions, we're investigating for pain. We're actually helping kids look more for what went wrong in their day rather than what went right. And the bottom line is most of us who've lived longer than a decade of life know every day is going to involve something that went great and something that went terrible. And some days a little that went okay and a lot that went bad. And so that's, again, that part of discomfort is the price of admission. And so how do I live into that truth myself and then prepare my kids to live in that truth as well? And while we're sitting in this space, give moms what are better things to say instead of investigating for pain. So what would be some phrases? I would even encourage parents rather than asking, you know, sometimes I think we ask, and this is not a bad question of just who is a good friend to you today. I would love to help kids be more outward moving by leading with who are you a good friend to today? Who's somebody in your life that needed support today? Like helping kids be thinking in that space is so greatly beneficial. And back to that statement I made about boys needing purpose, that feeds and fuels a foundational part of who they are. If I'm thinking in that direction more. And then I would go back to, you know, when they report something hard happened, we talk a lot about the, in addition to the equation of support and challenge, we love the equation of empathy and questions like, buddy, that sounds hard. What did you do when that happened? And I think there's something about asking those kinds of questions. How did you handle that? What did you do? What was that like? That really does speak a message to the boys we love, to the kids we love, that I believe in you. I believe you're mm -hmm. capable. I believe God has equipped you with what you need to navigate your own version of discomfort as a first grader, sixth grader, ninth grader, freshman in college. And so I love the idea of meeting kids first with empathy and then moving towards some kind of question that is empowering in that way. Like, I believe God has given you everything you need. And my job as a parent is just to help you tap into more of that, realize more of that's there, help you figure out how to use more of that. So that those would be two practices I would encourage parents to consider rather than that catastrophic language and investigating for pain. Hey, y'all, as we're talking about challenges for our kids, I wanted to tell you that this episode is brought to you by a new book that will bring hope and healing for all our relationships. It's called Legacy Changer by Kristen Hallinan. And if you feel stuck in cycles of brokenness, like we're talking about the anxiety in our kids today, and maybe that's a part of your story. 
Uh, Maybe you want more for your family, but you just can't seem to escape these wounds from your past. Well, Legacy Changer is not just a book. It's a roadmap to unlocking your understanding of your story and allowing God to redeem that pain. And sharing pieces of her own story of brokenness, Kristen is going to walk you, the reader, through steps of healing with compassion and wisdom. Legacy Changer is more than just motivational words, though. It's a practical guide with actionable steps to help you break free from shame, to help form healthier habits, and to live a legacy you are proud to pass down to your children. Whether you're desperate for a change or you just want your family to walk in greater freedom, Legacy Changer provides the tools and the insights you need to navigate life's challenges with a better understanding of emotional impacts on the brain and a stronger faith that God will show up. God wants to redeem your story. So if you're ready to be a Legacy Changer, Head over to the link in our show notes to grab your copy of Legacy Changer by Kristen Hallinan today. Don't let another year go by without experiencing the freedom God has for you and your family. Two things I'm curious if they are contributing to some of this. One is a new word I saw the other day, sharenting. Have you heard of this? I have. Define that for the folks listening. For the folks listening, uh, it's it's from a digital parenting book, and it's sharing your kids on social media or sharing all of the aspects of them, whether it's, you know, just, oh, this funny thing that happened when they're little or they won this award or whatever. It's them being under a microscope of sorts with our digital presence. And then um, mama bearing where it feels like you're being a good mom by when you hear that thing or that interaction happened at school or so-and-so said such and such and such, and you swoop in and you solve the problem and you think, man, that was a good, I'm being a good mom by coming in and solving the problem. But does it kind of remove the problem-solving skills and confidence of our kids? So those two things, sharenting and mama bear. Or, or what we've talked before about lawnmower parenting or yes. not helicoptering anymore, just like plowing. Snow plowing, yes. Snow plowing. Yeah. What do you think? No, we're not we're not beating down on moms. No. I'm just saying if we're seeing this behavior in our kids, how are we contributing and what can we do? Yes. And and I love that you said that because that's that's not at all either of our hearts and and the intention for our conversation, but how could we build more awareness and, and even ask the question to the first category of, is that helping? Is that helping my kids or is to it share everything. absolutely, or is it as you wisely reported within asking that question, potentially feeding and fueling something we don't really want to be feeding and fueling. So let me, make it even more specific to boys. I think that males on their own on any given day can tie their identity to their performance. Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, the everyday question we ask adult men, what do you do? Rarely does someone approach me and ask me like, Hey, tell me about your kids. They don't lead with that where I think we might. Tell me how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. We might lead in some of those ways with women asking first about their family before their vocation. But Mm -hmm. I don't love leading with that question because it, it assumes that the most important things about me are what I do in this world. And they simply are not. Most important things about me are my relationship with Christ, my relationship with my family. And so with boys, I think the version of that is what sport do you play? What activity do you Mm -hmm. do? So we've got to be very careful that we aren't feeding and feeling that reality because if boys already go there on their own and then culturally we kind of feed and feel that with those questions and then I post about the wins and the success, you you see where we're going. Like we are in some ways moving in the opposite direction of where we want to go. We want to anchor every boy we love strongly to the sense of you are a beloved son of God. That's your identity. Whatever you do, Whatever you choose to do in this world, however you fumble the ball, however you fail. So if I'm posting a lot in those spaces, that would be my biggest concern of how we're moving boys away from where we want to be headed, not toward. And I would say, you know, to the second, kind of back to the vigilance versus hypervigilance, I'm worried we've set the stage for a lot of parents in 
swinging so far the opposite direction. And by that, I mean, you know, many of us, myself included, I grew up in the seventies and eighties and, you know, we laugh about how we were the generation that if you got thirsty, you had to drink water out of a hose pipe outside, you know, and your parents sent you out back and locked the door and said, come back when it's dark. And we don't live in that world anymore. But if we were to overgeneralize, there probably were parents of that generation who weren't attentive enough. And we've swung so far the other way of being too attentive at this point. And, you know, one of the things that our dear friend, uh, Sissy Goff talks about in her new book, Worry-Free Parent that I love is she talks a lot about rumination and, Mm. you know, rumination is basically this, the choice to stay in the negative thought. It's kind of looping over and over. Well, I think rumination can sometimes look like good problem solving to your question. And in Mm. the context of parenting, if I'm thinking and thinking and thinking about this with my kids, I look really involved, intentional, and invested when in reality I could be obsessing, I could be ruminating, I could be fixating in ways that not only is it not helping my kids, it's not helping me. And, you know, if we were to put it in a practical example, it's like on the one hand, I like the fact that we can jump on our school's online portal and check how our kids are doing to support them. On the other hand, I don't think it's helping a lot of parents, particularly those who've been toward rumination. It's helpful. We know where they are with a tool like Life360. And on the other hand, it can feed and fuel rumination and fixation. And so we've got, that's where I love that mom who put the note card up, you know, that it's just allowing her to ask herself questions throughout the day that help her think about, to that example, how could I use those tools wisely and responsibly and when am I going overboard? Have you found that parents that come see you for kids who need this kind of support, who are having legit social anxiety, or we, we're going to talk about OCD, have you found that parents who use these tools and, and keep those words in mind, support and challenge, that there is a shift in their kids, that there is hope, that there's change? Oh, I know there is. I've seen too much good evidence. And and okay, and I've even Heather in my office more times than I could possibly count made the recommendation. Even to that last example, I've said to parents, sometimes mom specifically, I don't want you to look at his online portal, but once a week, and I want you to set a timer for fifteen minutes. I don't want you to look every day because I've had countless boys say things like, you know, my mom will say, "Hey," when she picks me up at school, and then immediately starts in like, "I looked at your portal and I noticed you didn't turn in." You know, and it becomes defining to the relationship in ways that I don't think are helpful for a mom, helpful for a son, and certainly helpful to their journey going forward. So I've made very specific recommendations and I make them to myself. Like currently, right now, I have limitations on how much news I read on a daily yeah. and weekly basis. Like I can't take in that much. It, it, I can feel the shift happening in me biologically, neurologically, and emotionally in ways that it's not helpful to me. And I would challenge any parent listening as we record in the year 2024 and head into a political season. It's like, I don't know that I know a human being in the United States that wouldn't benefit from limiting their political coverage. Otherwise, it's going to turn us into someone we don't want to be. And so what do those practices look like in the everyday of parenting? So that's one extreme where you have, you know, the child who does need a parent to kind of pull back on some of this and do some support and challenge. There are legit boys, and this is outside of what the what we're seeing right now, just boys who lack kind of an internal motivator or drive. I have four versions of a boy, and I have some boys who they – I don't have to worry one second. They are completely internally motivated to take care of their business. I have others that I'm getting emails on the weekly from teachers saying they're just not turning stuff in. Okay. We don't hold a high bar here at the McFadden household. We don't care if you get A's. 80 and above is great. But if you don't flip and turn in your homework, I have a problem. Okay. And so it's this other like, I'm not being hypervigilant. I'm literally like, thank the Lord I can hands off on some things. Okay. We've got, we've got my own job. My husband has his own job. I don't even do your job. But it feels like there we cannot light a fire of caring about it. And so I know personality. I just saw an Enneagram. Don't cancel me. Nobody cancel me. 
But an Enneagram post that was on the fours, the fives, and the nines, which I'm in that group, and I can get this, who doing is the last thing. Yes. And they like to do on their own timeline and in their own way. And if you push them on doing, they will get stubborn and they will yes. just shut down. Yes. I understand that. Do not make me do the laundry. Yes. Okay. But, and we do live in a world that has timelines and, and deadlines and you have to turn in homework. So what advice do you have for the mom who's about to pull her hair out trying to motivate mm -hmm. that child? A couple of things. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm grateful you brought up the Enneagram and, and you know from our friendship that I love that tool. We use that tool in our practice and I want to be very- It's a tool. It's a tool. It's not a religion, no, it's people. Not. It's a tool. And it's a valuable tool. And it's a tool that I believe is beautifully suited for spiritual formation too. I want to go on record as saying that because I know there are others who okay. don't agree with that, but I do. And I have would say that as someone who's been in a practice where we've used it for over 30 years. So- I would say yep. the beauty of using a tool like that is that, Heather, I have a son who's a nine. And so it okay. has changed the game for me. I'm a one on the Enneagram and I'm doing dominant and he's doing repressed. So we're like opposite <laughs> ends of the spectrum. Like I wake up thinking about everything I have to do. He All goes to bed at night trying to forget everything he has to do. So that's yeah. an extreme example. But it is to say, if I had not used that tool to understand that, I think I could have shamed this young man that I love with my whole being because I didn't understand that he sees the world and he operates in the world very differently than I do. And it has mm -hmm. changed me as a parent to use a tool like that. So I love that you brought it up and that would be my first recommendation. I would say secondly, and I think there's a good chance that parents listening are not going to love what I'm about to say, but I got to say it because I would argue. We've already been canceled. I know. So let it go on. Yeah. I, I would say if I were to think about the top five questions I have been asked in all these decades of doing this work, how do I motivate my son is in the top five. So it's, it's, okay. it's one of the more universal, not, not at all. And here's yeah. what I hate saying. I hate saying it every time, but it's, it's important to hear at the end of the day, I don't believe any of us can motivate another person. So as discouraging as that would sound, I hope it frees you up. Parents listening, like, let's lay that down. I don't want to expend energy and time and resources thinking I can when I can't. Now, what can I do? Let's move there. I can, as a parent, in an effort to build into him the skills that you and I know he's going to need for life, and I think it is so about that. So often it's about a lack of skill development. And that's yep. an ingredient in the mix. How can I leverage what he loves for the sake of the skill development that's needed? So to your great question, it's like, you know what? I can't make you turn things in. And I don't want for our relationship to be the kind of parent who's asking you about that on the daily, writing you about that. So back to my example, we're going to check in once a week. We're going to do it on, let's say, Friday afternoon at four. And whatever the online portal reveals that you chose to follow through with for the week will determine a lot of what the weekend's going to look like. And then we leverage the things that matter to him for the sake of the skill development needed. So, you know, that's going to be different for every kid. I think every kid's currency, every human's currency is different. For some kids, if you were to take away a half hour, an hour of technology, that's the end of the world. For some kids who are socially motivated, if I were to say, bummer, looks like you're going to need to stay home from football game tonight or the birthday party tomorrow and play catch up on that work that's due from the email I got. And I'd always go back to that rather than my expectations like, hey, I got an email from your teacher. You didn't turn this in and it is due or this makeup work's got to happen by Monday. So we're leveraging the things that matter and we're allowing those individuals to quarterback the process. That's key too, because once he goes to college, we won't know what's due. We won't know when anything is Hopefully. due. Absolutely. And so it's like, oh my gosh, I, agree. I hope we're not. I have no. one kid who's graduated, two who are in it. I can assure you, they don't send you any emails in college unless they want tuition money. You will get that email <laughs> every <laughs> or time they're getting around. Kicked out yeah. Because they didn't turn up to class yes. ever. Okay. But, you, but yeah. otherwise, we've got to have been playing that long game of preparing them. And here's the good news as we talk about that I can't motivate him. The other thing I love laughing and with parents about and saying often, it's just this reality of in the kindergarten through eighth grade space, that's the best window to press into skill development. It's not that we're not doing that ninth through 12th, but it is to say in that window, nothing is in ink. Nothing is on your permanent transcript. No college will ever go back and look at 
your fourth grade math scores. Now they will look at your 10th grade math scores. So that's the window where I, especially middle school, want kids to be fumbling the ball, falling down on their faces, getting back up, dusting themselves off. And we're figuring out systems and rhythms that work again to your wisdom, different for different kids that help them be ready by ninth grade or ready enough, more ready. Um, They're not going to be fully ready because here's the last thing I would say to all of that. And this is the best news amidst some hard news I've had to share. We have got to put the finish line with boys at the proper place. And you and I've talked about this before, but it's worth repeating. Most developmental theorists agree that adolescence is done for a girl around 19 to 20 for a boy 22 to 25. So if we were to put the finish line at 25, which we should, there is so much hope. There's so much hope. The things that we don't see coming together for boys at 17 that might be for girls differently in that space, we might have eight years of development left in adolescence at that point. That's a long time. And there's so much good learning. I have sons who are 21. It's so fun to see things coming together for them in this 18 to 22 space that didn't in the 14 to 18 space because they weren't far enough along in development. And stage five, as I call it, that last stage, it's it's magical. I love boys in that space. You've got a son who's starting that stretch. And I think you're going to love watching what you see in terms of growth in this next stretch. It's fun. I love boys in that space. I'm ready for some fun. Okay. We've been Bring in the middle school, high school for quite some time now. <clears throat> There's not as yeah. much fun happening in middle school. So Yes, you get ready for the fun. (laughs) I'm ready. Okay, I'm back to tell you about one of my favorite things. It's a great way for me to get products for our home, beauty supply, home cleaning, food, pantry, and it's clean products or focused in on what I'm looking for for my family. It's all through Thrive Market. I love that it comes right to my door. I spend enough to get the free shipping, which is fantastic. I love that I can search specifically to a category I'm looking for. So there's filters. If you want organic kids snacks or low sugar alternatives, gluten-free, et cetera. I also love that they save what I've ordered in the past. It's super fast and easy. I just placed my order really, really quickly. I spent $49.93, saved $21.56, and I pretty much focused in on bath, uh, a beauty, health, and cleaning products. I'll tell you, I got uh, more of those Mighty Patches. We go through those like crazy. And I love that they are on a discount through Thrive Market. Rosie by Thrive Market, the laundry detergent that's got lavender in it to help my kids sleep. Uh, the Indigo Wild Zum All-Purpose Cleaner. Have you seen that brand? And then my boys told me they need hand sanitizer wipes in the car. Uh, for after school or practices before they get a snack. So I got a couple packs of those uh, and then some under eye soothing gels for me. And like I said, I saved money ordering all that. What I also love is when I have a membership, it's a one-to-one program. So a family in need will get a matching program. Their goal in Thrive Market is that everyone has access to save money on products that are clean and good and healthy. Uh, So not only do you save money, but someone else will. Join in on the savings that's happening at Thrive Market today. Get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash DMA for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash DMA, thrivemarket.com slash DMA. So in this episode, we've been talking about anxiety and healthy risks and you know, something we are as parents often taking a risk and we don't need to uh, is we're unintentionally not planning for our family's financial future. And what I want to help you with and what I'm thankful to be able to partner with is Fabric by Gerber Life. They are designed by parents for parents so that you get high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policies in less than 10 minutes. Because I know, I know our brains are so full and life is so full and our budgets are, I mean, what's a budget, right? But fabric has made it so these policies are flexible. They will fit your family, your budget, policies that are quality 
like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. And it's all online, so you can fit it in your schedule. No appointments or piles of paperwork. Just apply when it's convenient for you. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam. And there's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can cancel at any time. Fabric has partnered with Gerber Life, which has been around forever, right? Over 50 years and trusted by millions of families like yours. And Fabric has more than life insurance. It's a one-stop shop that has free digital wills, investment accounts that let you save your kid's future. You can manage your family's finances right from your phone. So your family's prepared for anything. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash DMA. That's meetfabric.com slash DMA. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash DMA. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Okay, can we, do you want to talk about lying or do you want to talk about OCD? We can talk about either. We can talk about both. Okay. Okay, let's talk I'll about both. Quick. Which one do you want to start with? I will say okay. lying is a developmental norm. That doesn't sound great to hear, okay. but it's important to note. Well, what age, like what age range would there you There actually say? are multiple pockets. I wish it were a one-time okay. experience. All and right. here's the thing. It's different for each kid in that some kids will experiment longer and farther. Some kids test drive okay. that for a handful of weeks and are like, well, that didn't work for me. What <laughs> we want to focus on in line is we will not be able to catch every offense. That's just part of reality. So when we can confirm that lying has happened. We want to come down strong with some significant consequences. Again, every kid's currency is different. So it's not like there's one right consequence as a way of communicating, you know, as a, a core value for our family, we value truth and honesty. And so every time you get caught in that and acknowledging, I'm not going to catch everything. And so I'm not going to obsess or turn into a detective or fixate or ruminate in that space, but I'm simply going to trust. And I would so challenge every parent to do this. Pray that God will show me what I need to see. And yeah. I have consistently experienced he will. Heather, I had a conversation a month ago with a mom, and I've lost track with how many times this happened. This mom said to me, I sleep like a baby, David. A storm could blow through this house and nothing will wake me up. And in the middle of the night on a Wednesday, I woke up at four in the morning and something said, go to his room. And I walked upstairs and sure enough, window was cracked. He'd snuck out. She's like, I've never done it before. I don't know that I'll do it since, but it was, that's that answer to prayer that I've heard a thousand times over. And so I would also argue that in my experience with working with families of boys, I think boys are a little more clumsy in their lying, which I'm grateful for because it just makes it a little easier <laughs> to follow the crumbs and find our way to the information we need to see and praying God will show us. So that well, would be some of what I'd too, say. Like do you change the consequences if they admit the wrong? If they come to you, do you punish the wrong action or reward the truth telling? I think you absolutely they... can as a way of honoring that okay. they chose to do something different in that circumstance. I think we can also, to the degree that they don't, let's talk about the opposite direction, treat it the same way all of us know it would be treated in this country. If I get one speeding ticket, here's kind of the way that goes down. If I get a second in the same year, that's a more significant thing. If I get a third, I might yeah. get my license suspended. So it's okay if yeah. the offenses are stacking that we respond differently in that direction as a way of helping them make real life connections there. And I want to point people to the conversation I had with Dr. Ken Wilgus on feeding the mouth that bites you, like this way to navigate teen things and consequences and releasing and, you know, because sometimes I think sometimes the lying happens because there's been such a tight hold. Yes. That as a parent, that we sometimes contribute yes, we to can. this behavior. And so it makes me frustrated when I see like hypervigilant, controlling parents who overdiscipline and then they're like disciplining for lying. I'm like, because they are terrified of you. Absolutely. <laughs> like, this is the option they have. Not always true, but I do see that kind of coincide. So. Okay, you want to talk about OCD? Yes, let's do. And I know like that gets thrown out again. Like you guys have mentioned, sometimes things get thrown out that aren't necessarily OCD. Yes. So can we, Can we? how do we know it's moved from just 
some repetitive behaviors to a clinical concern diagnosis. Yeah. You know, the rule of thumb we talk a lot about with, with anxiety, with OCD, with depression, with so many things is, you know, is it problematic or is it debilitating? That's a great question to ask. Like, does it get in the way sometimes or is it making it difficult to function? And, and if it's that second category, we absolutely want to engage help. Now, I would argue if it's in the first category, it could still be helpful to do a consultation with your pediatrician or with a clinician to even think about some preventative, proactive things you could be doing on the front side before it accelerated rather than just kind of waiting and watching. And so I don't think it's ever a harmful thing for kids if we do a consultation on the front side. We do a ton of those with parents at our practice who are just asking questions like, are there things that I could be doing now that could be helpful as I'm seeing the beginnings of these patterns? But we talk a lot about with both anxiety and OCD that there's always a power and control phenomenon in play. So this is not just true for kids and adolescents, but for adults to the degree that I feel out of control internally, I'm tempted to want to control something externally. And the more external control we see with kids is an indicator light for the possibility of something like anxiety or OCD. And so I had a mom tell me recently, she has an eight and six year old and her eight year old daughter her anxiety and OCD both ramp up every August at the start of school, which is super common for a lot of kids. And she said, you know, David, I can tell kind of late July, she gets a little more bossy with all the family members. And then we peak at a second place when she gets really critical of her brother's chewing at dinner. She fixates on that and can't stop obsessing about it. And then she goes, I know we've hit a peak point when she's yelling at the dog who's her favorite member of our family. Like she loves the dog more than all of us. And the UPS guy comes to the door and rings the doorbell and she's like, stop barking. You know, like that external control where I'm fixated on the dog at this point, what's wrong with you? That is that indicator like, okay, there's some kind of internal storm going on. And how can we layer in some support as early as possible? Because, you know, the earlier we can grab hold of it and start to pull it back, the better. And I'm always, this is going to sound strange, but honestly, I'm always so encouraged when parents reach out for a consultation or bring kids in pre-12 because we can get hold of it before, you know, think about everything we know to be true about the architecture of the brain, that the longer any of us wire and fire in a certain direction, we're digging these really deep neural pathways. And so if we can get hold of it on the front side before kids get in the, speaking of internal storms, adolescence is a storm on its own on a good day under the best right. of circumstances, but it's all the more if those things are happening at the intersection of some of this. So those would be some first thoughts that I would throw out. And like one person asks, what does it look like? You just mentioned a, a girl and you know, she's getting bossy. She's getting her words. How do boys manifest an internal depression or anxiety? I know those are two different things, but well, it's going to look different in boys. It will. Yeah. And, and what's similar about those two things is that anxiety and depression with boys often looks more angry than worried or sad. Now, there's always those things underneath, but it's primary presentation. And that's why I think we miss it a lot. Like I would argue, Heather, that I think this world is full of depressed males who are high functioning vocationally. And so when we think about depression, we think about a person who's sad and lethargic and can't get out of bed and function in the world. Oh, I think there are plenty of depressed males in this world who get to work every single day, who are performing at a high level, who if cut off in traffic on the way to work would flip into rage, like just th this disproportionate response to an insignificant event. That's the indicator of light a lot of times for depressed adult and adolescent males, like an exaggerated angry response that is usually our cue to there's something more going on. What is also important to note about anxiety with boys is that anxious boys can also in a classroom setting look ADHD. So they are often under-focused, restless, fidgety, the very things we might first think about with attention deficit disorders, as opposed to thinking about an undercurrent of anxiety. But, you know, to the degree that I am trying to carry a lot of rumination, like we talked about, or excessive worry in my mind, I can't give my full attention to what's in front of me. So often these boys look distracted, under-focused, restless, fidgety. We had a 
young man in our office, this is always an indicator light to me. You know, we meet for part of a first appointment with a kid and for part of a first appointment with a parent. And anytime I see kids pacing up and down the hallway while their parents are in the meeting, that's sometimes, not always, but sometimes an indicator to me of, okay, I wonder if there's not some anxiety, like that restlessness, that unsettled experience where I couldn't even just sit down and read a book for a few minutes or sit down and fill in the blank with different things because I'm so internally undone. So if that's helpful, those would be some things I'd encourage folks to consider. No, super helpful. Yeah. I think that what you just said, I've spent so much time advocating for my own child to teachers and it's, it's a, it's not a hard conversation, but they bring up behaviors they see. And I'm like, just so you know, this child is in fight or flight a lot of times and or dysregulated and into collapse. And very rarely in this window of tolerance of, and it's not necessarily, and even parents, I've had to, I've had parents say, oh, you should definitely get them on ADHD meds. I'm like, I just need you to understand. Like there's a lot of sensory going on here that they're trying to manage. They feel out of control and attacked all the time. So I just, to be able for other parents to recognize their, you know, automatic is like, oh, it's ADHD or, oh, that kid's wild or whatever to help them see, oh, if you knew they were anxious, how would you react and respond to a child? And just one real quick, if it's a parent of a boy whose friend is anxious, one mom asked that, how do I help my son be a good friend? Mm, It's so great. The hope would be that there would be some permission from that friend, from that friend's family, that we could talk a little bit about it so that there could be a base level of understanding as the first thing. And second, really good support on the other side, you know, so that that friend, let's say, for example, could say, hey, I want to talk more about the fact that I know you're worried about staying overnight tonight. What would help? You want to sleep here or here? Do you want to keep a nightlight on or that like the the kinds of things that I think, gosh, so many layers of good that that kid who's anxious could feel safer navigating life with that friend because they know and they're thinking through ways to help them. And secondly, the kid who's the friend feels a real sense of purpose. Like I'm Mm. active in the doing of supporting this person I care a lot about. And, And so that's always the hope for me that there's just enough space for conversation and understanding so that we can show up for people differently, which was reflected in the very thing you said. It's like, I just want to educate. I think this kid's in fight or flight a lot so that we can look below the behaviors at what's in play because all behavior is communication of some kind. And so if your friend's there and they're obsessing about wanting to go home or call their mom, it's not that they don't want to be with you necessarily. There might be something getting in the way and that behavior is communicating something. How can I know and understand more of that? Again, never enough time, but always fantastic. So thankful for you, David. Y'all know I'm going to tell you now. David and Sissy have their own podcast. I wish it was my baby that I created, but they do. So if you need more from David, always find him at Raising Boys and Girls. We put links to everything in the show notes. Um, thank you again. Friend. You're Always so kind. kind friend. It is nothing but good every time we have the opportunity to spend time together. So I'm grateful you invited me. Thanks for doing the good work you're doing in the world. Honor to be a part of it today. Amazing. Such a good guy. Such a good guy. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you. Okay, y'all. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for sending in your questions and for being vulnerable on this hard topic. Uh, I do hope that you connect with David. If you've never heard from him before, that you would go listen to his podcast, go listen to the episodes he's done with me in the past. One that's really, really popular is one he did years ago um, on the art of nurturing boys. And he came back on very recently to do one on the emotional life of boys. He has a fantastic book and workbook on that topic. So if you are needing some support in helping particularly younger boys, elementary preteen. It's a great resource for that. I'm going to pray over us. Lord, oh man, we have a lot going on in our world right now. And our kids are feeling all of the pressures. And Lord, I pray that you would 
give us wisdom and encouragement and community uh, and discernment to know our part in helping our boys rise up to the challenge, to be encouraged, to navigate discomfort, to be aware what's going on inside of them and offer the tools that will best support them to live into the men you have created them to be. I pray for future generations that they are impacted by the work of David and his wisdom to us as parents. I pray that you would remove any fear or feelings of discouragement that may be weighing down a parent today, that they could move forward away from shame, away from guilt, and into an empowered place uh, from this point on. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all, for joining me today, like I said. And I'll be back next week. We're actually going to talk about panic attacks in adults. And I'm bringing on my friend, um, Casey Van Norman. She is just really wise, and it's a great integration of biblical principles and concepts and what we know about the neurological system. So um, join me for that conversation. I hope you guys have a great week and a fantastic Valentine's Day. uh, That's it. Adios. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.